G'day folks, welcome to episode 140 of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray. This week we've got 20 different CVEs to cover, including uh, this new vulnerability from uh, Tavis Ormandy, Google Project Zero, discovered in NSS, the Mozilla Crypto Library. Uh, and yeah, we'll be covering uh, updates for that as well as ICU Image Magic and the Linux kernel. So let's just get straight into the weekly roundup of updates. Uh, as I said, there are 20 different CVEs that were addressed this team, and up first was an update for ICU. This is a library for handling uh, Unicode data. Uh, this is a double free that was found and actually was, uh, I believe, found through uh, OSS files at Google and was originally reported in Chromium because that has an embedded copy of it there. And so you're able to trigger this on crafted content to ICU. So in the case of Chromium, that's a crafted web page. So what you end up with uh, is it's a memory corruption vulnerability. So it's similar to a lot of the issues you actually see within different web frameworks themselves. Uh, in this case, you know, if this is in the context of Chromium, you do end up in the Chromium sandbox. So you are reasonably... Uh, protected through that defense in depth approach in Chromium itself, but uh, other applications do use ICU. So that has been patched for uh, Ubuntu releases 2004 long-term support and 2104. Uh, after that was an update for a bunch of uh, CVEs hanging around in ImageMagic. This is for Ubuntu releases 18.04 long-term support and 14.04 and 16.04 extended security maintenance. All of these uh, would result in a denial of service due to untrusted inputs, so crafted input files. So if you are handling uh, crafted images or untrusted images in image magic, uh, these would then all uh, result in a divide by zero. So that's gonna be a crash uh, of image magic there. So you're a little safer now. Up to that was updates for the various kernels. Uh, thanks again, as always, to the kernel team for working on these. So every three weeks, they do uh, stable release updates of the kernels in the different supported Ubuntu releases, and they always roll in uh, a heap of different security fixes along the way. So yeah, thanks guys for doing all this work. Uh, the first kernel updated was the 5.11 kernel used in Ubuntu 20.104 and 20.04 long-term support. Uh, it's there as the hardware enablement kernel there. Uh, in this case, there was an ARM-specific issue with the A-speed uh, LPC bus controller. In this case, a local user could trigger an out-of-bounds right there, so you're able to get memory corruption in the kernel and therefore likely crash the kernel or get code execution. Uh, this device, though, is uh, only available on uh, particular ARM boards and ARM hard float specific, so if you are using that 32-bit uh, kernel there, uh, you might have been affected by that, but yeah, that has now been patched. As well, uh, some different uh, memory leaks in AMD cryptographic coprocessor driver. Uh, I talked about those a couple episodes ago. And finally, an out-of-bounds read that could be triggered through uh, the SCTP protocol handling, uh, and that was uh, in incoming packets there. So you could potentially get uh, a remotely attacker-controlled uh, information disclosure through that. After that was an update for the 5.13 kernel, which you used in Ubuntu 21.10, the most recent interim release. And again, uh, that's actually available as the OEM kernel, or a kernel right on that is available as the OEM kernel for Ubuntu 20.04 long-term support. Uh, so that's used on various OEM platforms. Uh, so that included the fixes I just talked about, plus an SE Linux specific issue around the handling of task credentials. Uh, that would result in a use after free, so you could get memory corruption and a crash and possible code execution in the kernel. Uh, thanks to Jan Horn from Google Project Zero who discovered that one. Uh, so on Ubuntu, we use AppArmor. We don't uh, enable SE Linux out of the box, but we do uh, compile it into the kernel so that you can potentially use it on systems if you want, but you have to go and manually configure that yourself. 
Uh, after that was an update for the 5.4 based kernel, which is used on Ubuntu 20.04 uh, long-term support, as well as hardware enablement kernel for Ubuntu 18.04 long-term support. Four different CVEs were rolled into this uh, that included some that I just talked about. So that's the AMD cryptographic coprocessor memory leaks, uh, the SETP protocol handling out-of-bounds read, as well as uh, a use after free in the USB option high-speed mobile driver. So uh, if a local attacker were able to un uh, plug in one of those devices into your machine and unplug it before it was fully registered, that would trigger this user after free. And so they could potentially crash the kernel or get code execution, depending, I guess, on how, you know, maybe they've crafted a device to look like that and you know, inject other data that then could possibly get code execution through. I'm not sure. But yeah, you can imagine that could be possible. And finally, got a couple uh, more kernel updates. Uh, the 4.15 kernel in Ubuntu 18.04 long-term support, and that is used as the, uh, the hardware enablement kernel for Ubuntu 16.04 extended security maintenance and for 14.04 extended security maintenance on Azure. Uh, that included the AMD cryptographic coprocessor driver memory leaks and SETP protocol handling out-of-bounds read. And finally, uh, the OEM kernel for Ubuntu 24 long-term support was updated. Uh, this included a mix of vulnerabilities in different drivers. So there's a use after free in the NFC subsystem, possible denial of service in SCTP uh, protocol handling uh, due to a logic error there. There was an out-of-bounds uh, read, uh, sorry, an out-of-bounds write in the AMD GPU uh, debugfs handling. Uh, debugfs is only available to root though, so you do need root permission to be able to trigger that one, so not as high priority. Uh, there was an out-of-bounds write in the Fire DTV Firewire driver. Uh, there was a Power8 specific KVM issue where a guest could cause uh, the host to crash if you are using KVM on Power8. And finally, an out-of-bounds write in the transparent inter-process communication subsystem and an out-of-bounds write in ISDN CAPI subsystem as well. Cool. So uh, that is it for the week in security updates, except for, I guess, a, a late breaking security update that we did, uh, well, yesterday now, but when I was preparing the show notes, it was just then, for uh, NSS and Thunderbird. So uh, I'm going to talk about this one in a bit more detail because there was a really good blog post about it uh, from Tavis Ormandy at Google Project Zero who discovered this. So uh, NSS is a crypto library uh, developed by Mozilla. It's been around for a very long time. It's used in both Firefox and Thunderbird and a heap of other projects as well. Uh, and yeah, he found this uh, vulnerability that had been, I guess, lurking for a very long time. The code in question has actually existed since 2003 and has actually been exploitable since 2012 when it got refactored and then you know, various parts were made, I guess, more accessible to make this more exploitable. Uh, the code in question uh, does a mem copy of some attacker-controlled data into a fixed-sized buffer, and it doesn't specifically check whether that attacker-controlled data is too large. So it's a classic heap-based buffer overflow. And uh, you know this object that it copies into on the heap, it's there's you know, this fixed-sized buffer, and after that uh, is a bunch of function pointers. And so you can, if you overflow that fixed-sized buffer, you can eventually overwrite those function pointers, and you can take control of the code flow as a result, and then get code execution uh, relatively easily. And you know this blog post was called "This Shouldn't Have Happened" uh, that Tavis wrote, and I've got a link to it in the show notes. I, I think you should read it; it's really good. But I'm going to summarise it here. Uh, and yeah, it really goes into a lot of detail about how you know, NSS is uh, a relatively good software project. You know, it's one of the first projects that was added to OSS Fuzz at Google, so it's been being fuzzed by Google for a long time. Mozilla have their own fuzzing as well through LibFuzzer. Uh, they have extensive test suites. Uh, they use address sanitizer in their internal builds to be able to 
to detect, you know, memory uh, corruption issues, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and so the question was really, you know, with all of this in place, why was this never found? You know, this is a relatively uh, standard, you know, buffer overflow. There was nothing, you know, really tricky going on here. Uh, they also are set up to use Coverity. So uh, Coverity by Synopsys, they have scan.coverity.com uh, where open source projects can register themselves and can use a Coverity to do static analysis on their builds. And again, this being C++, this is should be really Coverity's bread and butter to detect this kind of thing, but it didn't detect it either. Uh, and so then the question was, with all of this in place, why not? So uh, Tavis goes into some detail looking at how the existing fuzzing works. So there is a bunch of different fuzzing that is done here, uh, but the fuzzing uses only a 10K, a maximum size of 10K bytes for input. But in this case, you needed over 16K of input to be able to overflow this, so it wouldn't have found it. So this sort of arbitrary uh, limit there, I guess, and that's probably for performance reasons, so that they don't spend a huge amount of time mutating a very large buffer and having all the different uh, combinations explosion that you would get as a result from that uh, but yeah obviously increasing that would give uh, you know a lot more coverage and uh, Tavis also describes how the individual code paths get fuzzed uh, but there's not a lot of end-to-end -end systematic testing as a result so they have a lot of fuzzing for kind of individual functions and those sorts of smaller fuzz targets but the idea is they generate uh, you know a, an input for one of them they feed it into that that gets fuzzed great you know say the parsing handles it correctly but then it doesn't uh, then pass that on to whatever would then handle that object next. And so the, the idea is you could be generating uh, you know, one particular input and then using it in multiple parts and that would then get you, I guess, more coverage. Talking about coverage, they also then display uh, the metrics for, uh, for how comprehensive the fuzzing is and what kind of code paths have been covered and all of that. Uh, but that's what all gets amalgamated as a result of various different fuzzes uh, running. And so it's hard to tell uh, which piece of code has been fuzzed by which fuzzer and therefore whether it's likely you know, to have fuzzed or to have used the right kinds of inputs to you know, exercise all the various code paths that would need to be done. Uh, so yeah, he kind of describes that all these things, uh, you know, I guess there's a bit of a perfect storm and I, I guess this is how uh, a lot of things work. You know, often software is written to be defensive, but all it takes is a combination of different issues that can lead to an actual vulnerability being exploitable. So yeah, this seemingly well-tested, well-fuzzed code is not enough. We need to look more systematically at projects and I guess how that all that all works together and are there blind spots that they have and try to quantify how complete the coverage is. And so obviously not just using the normal sorts of metrics like you know, lines of code covered. Have you covered every possible line of code or covered every branch in every line of code? Uh, but also the various boundary conditions that might be there. So in this case, you know, we should be trying to fuzz at the, you know, object sizes and around those object sizes uh, of various objects within uh, the code paths that you're looking at. So yeah, as I say, it's a great write-up that uh, Tavis has got. If you want to read more about that, I urge you to. But yeah, those updates have now gone out. Uh, they are for NSS uh, all the way back to uh, Ubuntu 1404 Extended Security Maintenance, 1604 Extended Security Maintenance, uh, 1804, 20.04 Long-Term Support, and 21.04 and 21.10, the interim releases. Plus, we've updated Thunderbird as well back to Ubuntu 18.04 Long-Term Support to patch that there. Uh, I did mention the NSS is used by Firefox, but uh, the, this particular vulnerability, uh, Firefox doesn't uh, use these code paths, so it wasn't able to be triggered there, uh, which is good. So at least I guess there's something that's a little bit safer there. All right, uh, that takes us to the end of this week's episode. 
If you've got any questions about anything you've heard today or anything Ubuntu security related, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at security@ubuntu.com. We also hang out in the Ubuntu-security channel on libera.chat, the IRC network. Uh, there is also a security section on the discourse at ubuntu.com our community so yeah, you can create a topic there and discuss things with us there and finally we are on twitter at ubuntu underscore set as well so thanks everyone for listening again for another week i'll be back again with you all next week to do this all over again but until then remember keep calm because we've got your back and i'll speak to you soon bye <laughs>